Welcome to Kuden, the radio show and podcast for self-defense and martial arts news, interviews, techniques, and history. Hosted by Sheehan Jeffrey Miller and Shidoshi Eric White. Sheehan Miller is a 13th degree black belt and master instructor of Warrior Concepts International in Sunbury, Pennsylvania. Shidoshi Miller's martial arts career spans over 30 years and has taken him around the world to train with some of the world's best martial arts masters. Shidoshi Eric White has been a student of Sheehan Miller's for over a decade. Together, they will answer your questions, discuss techniques, history, and current issues important to you, the self-defense-minded citizen and the practicing martial artist. Submit your questions by email to warriorc at warrior-concepts-online.com. Well, good day, everyone. Welcome to Kuden. Great to have everybody on. Uh, I know a few people already jumping on and a uh, little little chit-chat going on with some of us before uh, the show began. And we've got some people on the webcast side. So hope everybody's having uh, a great day. And when there's already a couple questions, I know we can kind of address right off the bat. So uh, how are you, sir? Uh, I'm good. Thanks for asking. I'm well. You're Thank well. Thank you, well. I'm not the one. Ah, Genki Des. I've been having a lot of fun. Actually, I'll throw that out as a little tip. Uh, if anybody, and, and this was something um, that I got access to because I was a part of the, a local library system, actually, Lycoming County Library there in Williamsport. Uh, one of the little perks they had to having a library card, which, is, of course, is free, is you got access to a language app called Mango. And you could search this out. It's called the oh, Mango. Yeah. And if yeah. your library system is part of it, you could get a, like the first couple units worth totally free. And so I have this Mango language app that's really great. I love it. And it's great for on the go, in the car, and it just helps with uh, learning Japanese. So if you want to learn Japanese or they've got a ton of languages, you might check with your library. You might be able to get that free and don't know if they have it where I'm at now. But like Coming County Library and all my access codes still work, so I still have access. <laughs> there you to go. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there's a, on the App Store. There's a lot of uh, apps. My phone is loaded with these things. Uh, I have one that um, uh, tests my knowledge of the Hira and Katakana, and uh, it's not just a flashcard system. I have one of those, uh, mm -hmm. but uh, this one actually puts the four. Uh, quadrant block system that they have, you know, like mm. for, for kids yeah. writing things in our country, right? We have these horizontal lines and, you know, keep the letters between the lines, right? Well, for writing kana and kanji, you've got this four block quadrant kind of thing. It's like a plus sign running through your, your paper, right? And so, mm. uh, literally on my phone or tablet, I just use my finger or a stylus and I draw the kana and it's, it's, I could have the, correct kana but if the if if i'm off percentage wise for how much the stroke is supposed to be in each quadrant it rings up as wrong so oh, wow um, oh yeah it's really it's really cool so well, um, you get good at like writing that, it that's great uh, yeah there's a there's an app that i have that uh it's uh it helps me in those situations where i'm trying to read something when i'm in japan but um, I don't know all the kana, or I don't know, or I know the kana, but I know I don't know all the kanji, and it's kind of like a hunt and peck kind of thing. And there's too many that I don't know, so uh, it actually is wired to your camera, and it's like reading a QR code. So you literally put the, the sign in the camera frame, and 
click go, and it reads the sign for you and translates it into English or whatever your native tongue is. So yeah. wow. uh, there's tons and tons of stuff that's out there now. Yeah, really cool. And on top of that, cool I have uh, I have uh, what's the one that I have? I have uh, Rosetta Stone Japanese. I have a Pimsleur mm. course. Uh, you know, so one's audio, one's visual based. Uh, you know, I'm just I'm a big fan of coming at it from different directions. I used to have one that was called uh, uh, what's it called? Something play Japanese, and it was really all centered around games that we all play anyway, or oh, played when we were cool. kids. So bingo and matching games and all that. Uh, and with a lot of these things, uh, there's a microphone hookup, and you just tell them that you're an adult male or female or whatever, and uh, you'll read uh, text or read certain phrases, and it will compare your voice to a native speaker. Wow. So, oh, that's cool. Uh, yeah, really cool stuff. Technology's just really put it out there. Yeah. yeah. Cool. yeah. Well, uh, before... The, or, you know, you read a, get a Berlitz book and you try to uh, you know, <laughs> read out the statement or the, the comment. And by the way, Berlitz is not that great of a program. Uh, Japanese has like five layers or five levels of politeness in their day-to-day communication, depending on where you are on the, or, you know, who you're relating to and things like that. And, um, you know, you, you want something that's going to allow you to relate at a level three or level four if you're a tourist or just visiting or whatever. I mean, if you have friends, it'll start to, you know, drop a little bit, and you'll pick that up from your friends. But you want a level three or level four. You always err on the side of more etiquette, more politeness. Um, but Berlitz comes in at about a two to three. Okay? So yeah, you've got to be careful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, before we uh, before we got the show rolling, spend a little bit of time talking to David, and he had an interesting question. Something probably we can quickly uh, go over before we get into some of these others. And I know Josh has a question on the webcast side, so we'll get to that too. But uh, David was asking about kind of the name of the school because I said um, you know you were caught up in some traffic on your way to the dojo, and he asked, oh, so is that what you you call schools in, in the form of ninjutsu you're doing, or do they use the the ryu part of uh, of it? And so. Uh, we talked a little bit about the name of a school versus just saying the dojo is in the place. But maybe you can expand on that a little bit, like the name of uh, the school. I don't know. No. <laughs> Sorry. Moving the, on. As in, okay. like, the, the, the name of the school as in Bujinkan Kudu Dojo, Bujinkan Mortal yeah. Dojo. Is that what we're talking about? Yes. Yeah, I think the difference between the actual, like, a school's formal name uh, than a school in which it may be associated with a, a larger school like Bujin Khan and just the term dojo is in a kind of casual reference to the training hall, the school we're at. Okay. So I don't know that I'm still clear, but I'm going to give you an answer that's really related or it's it's more related to why I have more people in my dojo than the average training group, okay? Okay. Um, so, you know, we have Warrior Concepts, Internationals, Black Belt, Life, Black Belt and Life Mastery Academy, right? So people don't hear the term dojo until they actually become a member of the dojo. I don't make any assumptions about anyone when they call me, and I'm not going to throw around jargon because comprehension drops as soon as somebody runs into a word that they don't know. 
And most people mm. are too polite to tell you that they don't know. Okay? So they'll flounder until they either figure it out or other things add up that make it more uncomfortable and then they quit or leave. Okay? So uh, when I first started out with my first training group, I did what 90% of the people do. I gave it this really cool-sounding Japanese name because, well, that's what we're doing, right? So then it was yeah. Bujinkan Kuryu Shibu. Uh, Shibu means roughly uh, training group, okay? So it wasn't a dojo because I wasn't, uh, I wasn't a black belt yet, okay? I didn't have authorization from my teacher to create a dojo, so it was a Shibu. So that's even more confusing to people, right? Uh, <laughs> so I did that, and I had about the same number that most decent training groups have. So we're talking less than 10 people. Probably, okay? And it wasn't until I walked into a wall, uh, not a literal wall, but I, it, something woke me up, right? Uh, it's kind of like the 13 uh, Buddhism Bodhisattvas course that we have. Fudo hmm. reached out of the universe and slapped me in the back of my head and said, <laughs> uh, no, what it really was was I bumped into a couple of people off and on, oh, probably over the course of a couple of months, and, you know, they found out what I did and all that, and they went, oh, wow, you know what? I've always wanted to stop in there, but I, I didn't know how to pronounce the name, and I was afraid of either offending somebody or they kicked mm. my butt if I didn't know how to say it right or whatever. Mm. So what I found was that people were actually avoiding the place yeah. if they had a problem with pronunciation or understanding. Oh, it was whatever. They got it yeah. that it was martial arts, but... Mm, I don't know how to say that, right? So right, either right. through embarrassment or uh, whatever, right? So I found that I was actually losing student opportunities by stroking my own ego, okay? So um, I did a change, and I called it Miller's Martial Arts. And then we had, as a subhead, Bujinkan Kuryu Dojo, because that name, obviously, Bujinkan is... Uh, Divine Warrior Hall, and uh, Kudyu, uh, one of my teachers, uh, had given me this, kind of passed on this martial name at one point, um, uh, because he had told me that I had, he just saw all this potential, right? So Ku, mm. void, also means potential or uh, uh, kind of a non-formed, like a ball of clay, right? It could be anything mm. you want it to be um, because of all this potential, right? And Ryu is dragon, so Hatsumi Sensei, is one of his martial names is White Dragon, right? And then he passed that on to this uh, teacher whose martial name was Golden Dragon, and then so, right, Kudu, right? Dragon mm. Potential, right? And then Dojo, of course, is, is training hall, right? So we get that. Um, so I just used it as a subhead kind of thing because we're talking mid to late 80s, Lots of people were looking for Ninjutsu, and I didn't want them to pass by this place called Miller's Martial Arts because it sounded just like Burns Taekwondo. It sounded like Ramsey's Martial mm. Arts. It sounded like Kim's Tic Tac, whatever, right? Yeah. So uh, I wanted to have that out there, and then, you know, as a little byline on my business card and on uh, the dojo brochure, it said teaching authentic Japanese uh, Ninjutsu, right? But mm. that wasn't the primary, and I certainly didn't throw around a whole bunch of Japanese names. I mean, um, in our in our uh, instructor training program, um, that's 
available online, right? In that program, we go through a marketing section, and one of the assignments is for folks to go and look at uh, websites, if you know they don't have anybody local or whatever, but if they do, then grab brochures, grab flyers or whatever, and look at most of these brochures and flyers. And what you're going to see, I mean, look at look at most of the ones that have that are in the Bujinkan, right? Anybody that lands on that website, unless they know Japanese or are specifically looking for this, right? So what are you going to do? You're going to you're going to offer the benefits of this art to people who are only looking for this art out of all of the hundreds of thousands or maybe even millions that are looking for martial arts or self-defense that we could help, but we're only going to market to the one-tenth of one percent of that ginormous group who are specifically looking for this thing that they've already encountered, already read up on, mm. whatever, right? So, I mean, there's a whole bunch of reasons behind this. So uh, we ran with Miller's Martial Arts for a long time, and I, had to, I mean, I, I was – king of my little world around here, but um, I ended up going through a basically a business course, right, um, because I wanted to know how to do better. I want to help as many people as possible using this art and sharing it with as many people as possible without, quote-unquote, watering it down, okay? And that that's part of that dualistic binary thinking that most people have, that if you're not doing the full thing, then you must be doing, you must be watering it down. All, all I did was create programs around the central needs of given groups. And then we have a group that's doing everything. But I'm certainly not going to walk out there and go and, and look at anybody that calls or walks in the door and basically tell them that if you don't want to do everything that I'm turned on by, then you can't be here. And people don't normally say that in those words, but their actions, the way they describe things, the way they treat mm. uh, students or whatever, you know what I mean? It, it just right. comes across as, a, as an alienation yeah. kind of thing, right? Sure. So who's, who's being helped? Uh, right. Typically the instructor's ego is being helped is what's being helped. And then when somebody quits, then ego flares out, you know, well, they weren't committed enough or whatever. Well, wake-up call for most people in this art, most people aren't doing the full thing either. Because if mm. you were, you'd be doing at least the Ninja no Hachimon those eight areas, um, and more, but most people are doing, what, Ninpo or Budo Taijutsu with some weapons thrown in. So hmm. don't figure, right? So anyway, right. we ran with that for a while, had a great reputation, but I wanted to do better. So as a part of kind of evaluating uh, what was going on, uh, for a while, I just, some students helped me. We went to fairs and things like that, and uh, we didn't so much market the school as we just did some information gathering. I mean, we're ninja, right? So how about if we learn what prospective students think about us or think about martial arts training in general and then be able to hone that down to better generate communications and, and promotional messages that speak their listen, right? Mm. So we had this survey, and you may have helped at one point because it was right around the time that you were uh, a member. Mm -hmm. um, but we had these five questions. One of the questions was, uh, you know, have you or anyone else in your family uh, ever taken martial arts? Uh, regardless of whether it's yes or no, we, we weren't feeding them answers and we weren't leading them. So there was that. Yeah. And then we had, um, uh, what was the next one? Uh, and if the, if the answer was no, we'll have anyone, have you or anyone in your family. What is that? Is that on your side? Well, I, I don't know. I. Maybe it's picking up some outside noise from here. 
Wow. Okay. Well, fair went by. Anyway, I've got open windows. Yeah. Maybe maybe it's picking up extra noise. Sorry. Okay. No. No. Uh, so, um, uh, where was I going with that? So, uh, you know, have you ever thought about taking martial arts or whatever? Right. So, when you think of martial arts, uh, just in general, right? What what comes to mind? And we got some, you know, lots of positive uh, answers. Right. Everything from self defense to confidence building, anger management. All that kind of stuff, right? Uh, we got some negative things, right? Uh, bullies, fighters, whatever, okay? And again, we weren't trying to change their opinions. We were just collecting information. Um, one of the questions was, um, when you think of martial arts schools in the area, what uh, schools or names come to mind? And again, we weren't asking them if they knew us. We were asking them what came to mind because Marketing 101 says that everyone has a three-tiered category in their brain for everything that they deal with. If I tell you to name or ask you to name uh, soft drinks, right, like soda, pop, whatever you call it in your area, carbonated beverages, right, um, you know, and you name them off, right, most people name Coke first, Pepsi next, and everything else after that, okay? So it's the same thing. So we wanted to know – and we wanted to see how the names came out and if we were even on the list. Yeah. In radio like and the uh, advertising world, we, we refer to that as TOMA or top of mind awareness. Top of mind. Absolutely. Right. You can't come off or, or even in your own head think you're the best in the area. If you're not best or top of mind in everybody's area when they think about when they or when they finally get around to wanting to do martial arts or self-defense training or whatever, you don't exist. Right. You're either one of everybody else or whatever, right? So, and I know people generally don't like to hear discussions about marketing and all that because I don't want this to be commercial. Well, dude, even if you're collecting 50 cents or a buck per class, um, it's commercial, right? So it is what it is, right? And even if you're doing it for charity, you still need to promote things, right? You need to generate word of mouth, whatever. But the biggest thing is instead of trying to convince people that they want to do your thing or your style or whatever, how about if you figure out if what you're offering is even in their even in their system? Because there's yeah. a lot of people who are looking for martial arts that are looking for tournament and competition. They're looking for you know MMA stuff. They're looking for Tai Chi. Um, they may not know those names or or they not, may not think that way. They may associate that all martial arts do those things. But I promise, if you've convinced them to do your thing because it'll help them do the thing they want, and then once they get into class, if it doesn't look, feel, and, and have the experience of that thing they're looking for and match their reality, they're gone, right? right. So how about if we just save everybody, you know, the school, the instructor, and the prospective student, uh, heartache and wasted time, effort, maybe money, whatever, right at the beginning. Know who we're looking for, know where they hang out, know what terminology they use, know what it is that they're looking for, and now I don't qualify students. I don't try to talk them into, into classes. I actually disqualify people. So mm. that's why I have a much higher retention rate than most people because I'm not trying to convince them this is the greatest thing since Swiss cheese. I have more people that say, man, I've always been looking for something like this. I just didn't know what it was called. Mm. You know, is this like karate, right? So anyway, so uh, <laughs> I, one of the I'm, most important I'm sorry. 
No, I was just, uh, I'm looking here. Uh, I, I, I may have butchered David's question a, a bit. Uh, you know, I guess what he had posted here is his follow-up was that he was just looking to see if you call it a school, a Ryu or a dojo. This oh. is really great. <laughs> this is like what a great perspective that's come out of my butchering of the question though. Cause if anybody listening, talk, you know, thinking even just the training group, as you mentioned, trying to get some other people together. So they have bodies to work on techniques and things like that, that, you know, we're not turning people away by right. in the beginning. I call it a school to everybody or an academy um, because academy sounds uh, classier. And if we're going to be coming across as the premier school in the area or we're going to be attractive to people who are looking, literally looking for the best, then you have to use vocabulary that says best. It says prestigious. So I use the word prestigious. I use the word academy more often than I use the word school. Once they learn the word dojo, then we'll use dojo from the inside. But see, I, my vocabulary is different when it's directed outside the academy at prospective students and parents and whatever than it is inside the school. Okay? Because using a certain type of jargon or terminology inside the school now causes a sense of inclusion because they know something that not everybody else does. And I know it's a simple word, but that simple word has lots of power because it's a dojo, right? So anyway, one of the most important questions that we asked was when you think of different types of martial arts or when you think of – so whatever names they gave me, right? When you think of Burns Taekwondo, when you think of uh, the Kung Fu class at the YMCA, when you think of, at that point, Miller's martial arts, right? When you think of these things – um, do you know what they teach? Do you know how they're different? And the answer was no. So hmm. I needed to do something that at the very beginning either told them that we were different without saying we're different than everybody else because everybody says that, right? It's a sales pitch, right? right? Or at least perks up their their ears or their eyes where they they generate that question. Huh. What about they do there, right? So I went from sounding like everybody else, Ramsey's martial arts, Miller's martial arts, Burns Taekwondo, which is the same thing as saying Burns martial arts, right? Um, mm-hmm. to, to every, in everybody's head, it all sounded the same. So in October of 2004, we changed things to Warrior Concepts International because we are teaching warriorship. Everything that we teach is based on principles and concepts, not hard kata, and Mm -hmm. we are connected internationally. So it just went from there. I apologize for this not being directly where, you know, he was looking, but hopefully this adds some perspective (laughs) as to why I use the communication or the the vocabulary that I use, um, whether we're looking at, you know, the stuff that's in the Ninja Mind course or in the the Nikyo training or whatever, right? There's that that noble eightfold path, right? These eight areas of your life that you need to be mindful of and can, in control of so that you affect and create the results that you're looking for. And one of those is right speech. So what is the speech? What is the vocabulary? What is the uh, terminology? What is it? What, what specifically speaks to your listeners? I, I say it, what, what, um, what speaks to their listen, right? What are they already tuned to? What's their vocabulary? 
So if somebody walks in my in my dojo and it's for their first introductory session or two, I teach them the word dojo and things like that. But if they keep using the word school or they use the term karate or whatever, mm-hmm. I mirror that back. Okay? Mm-hmm. Now, some people mm-hmm. think that's selling out, but I'm speaking their listen until I can re-educate them as to what we're doing. Okay? So what I want is for them to come to the conclusion that we offer what it is they're looking for without me having to say we offer what they're looking for. Because Hmm. if I say it, it comes across as a sales pitch. If they think it, then to them it's reality. So this is all all our mind science training, right? Hmm. So I'll mirror that back. And for anybody that gets weirded out because I'll use the word karate because we don't teach karate, uh, there was a whole bunch of years at different points in the development and, and evolution of our martial art where it was called karate. There was a whole period where it was called jiu-jitsu. There was a whole period where it was called uh, something else, right? And the reason for that was because that was the common popular or conventional term of that era. Hmm. So, I mean – or perhaps also help uh, subvert it, uh, you know, something the ninjas absolutely to do quite a bit it, of. Right? We kind of have that now in the sense that, you know, uh, you, you see Hatsumi Sensei calling this Budo Taijutsu and Nimpo's really been stripped out of it. And that's not really highlighted like it was. So much so that a lot of people would argue that we don't practice ninjutsu. Hmm. Well, he doesn't present that to the masses anymore because. Nijutsu takes a lot more to understand because you have to understand the basic warrior stuff before you can understand this thing that's a variation of. But what I was going to say is up to a certain point in history, Nijutsu didn't exist. Well, it existed, but the term didn't exist because the word ninja wasn't being used. Ninja is a fairly modern term, right? Up to a certain point, this whole... The, the group of people that were practicing practicing this were called shinobi no mono, not mm. ninja. So now what do you have? You don't have ninja two. You have what? I don't know. I wasn't hmm. there. But yeah. so here's this thing, right? So my point is that there's there's things that one by knowing some of these things it increases our ability um, to be more clear about the training that we're doing what's right, what's not right, what's in the ballpark, what isn't. It causes us to stop arguing about dumb, trivial stuff, right? And it allows us to produce better results in the world. And in this little arena that I'm talking about now, it's getting more people in the dojo that want to practice martial arts. They're not walking in or or calling. It's because they don't know that we're here or they don't know what we do or they're not ready, or whatever. But there are tons of people all the time, everywhere, looking to get involved in this stuff. Okay? Yeah. And if I don't communicate correctly, they're going to be at Kim's Taekwondo or whatever. Um, and personally, even if they just want to learn how to get out of the way of things or some super simple basic self-defense, I'd rather them be at our school, dojo, academy, pick a word, whatever makes you feel warm and fun. Right? I'd rather them be here than to be at some place where I know that it's a belt factory or they're going to get killed or, you know, hmm. or whatever, right? So yeah. 
you know, it is what it is, right? So, and, and again, this, this, it's by developing this ability, uh, and I could be wrong, right? I could be so far in left field and parking cars in the parking lot, but, uh, <laughs> Hatsumi Sensei always talks about the goal being the return to zero. Hmm. Getting back to this full potential, right? Well, how do you return to zero if you either won't give up habit patterns that you put in or leave in place that get in your own way? Or how do you return to zero if you don't build a greater, let's call it a toolbox, of options mm. where whatever you need in the moment, you can use? So I have multiple ways of describing things. The Buddha, Christ, Lao Tzu, uh, all these guys, right, all these great sages were known for being able to speak the listen of whatever group they were talking to. If they were talking to a group of laborers, they talked, they used that jargon and, and things like that. You've heard me do this in class. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. if I'm yeah. talking to Richard Snyder, he's, uh, well, he's retired now, but he was a farmer. So right. I would use analogies for him that borrowed processes and things like that to him off the farm. It made it quicker for him to understand what we were doing with the body or strategically or whatever because I used that. If I'm dealing with somebody, well, I use them on you. You were in radio and sales, so I use terminology that matched that. So this isn't just about prospective students. This is also helping a student shortcut the learning process by using terminology that matches their life experience because they know that better than needs to. So, yeah. and does it really matter what we call it? If it does, again, we're stroking ego again okay? or something else. Whatever. Anyway, <laughs> so, so well, I, I, we're going because I may be punching I, people in the face with what I'm describing. So, right. Anyway, well, um, thank you to to David. You know, again, we were chatting before the the kind of show officially began, and uh, sorry to David if I butchered your question, but uh, great great kind of lesson I think came out of it re- regardless. So hopefully we've we've answered that. Now Josh has a question we can get to, and uh, I like this. This is this is cool. Um, He's asking if you could comment on the role archery traditionally had for the ninja. Aside from a few pictures of ninja drawing short Yumi-style bows, he says, I haven't been able to find much information. Thanks. So I like this because as I think back through all the training I've done, yeah, you know, we've, we've not done that. I At least I, I was at uh, any kind of um, archery seminars and handgun seminars and things. So great question. I'd love to hear the answer to this as well or just where yeah, archery yeah, fits into ninja. Yeah, we haven't done archery in such a long time. Um, last time I remember doing it, it was, uh, we actually worked it into a wilderness survival seminar that we did, and I had people hand make a um, bow, and then they learned how to fletch a single arrow, or uh, <clears throat> actually make one, a single arrow. Yeah, um, you know, and then we taught them how to do conventional drawing. We taught them how to do the seated thing where you're the, the feet are handling and controlling the bow, and uh, both arms are drawing the arrow kind of thing so um so cool anyway so we that's doubtful anyway so we did that kind of thing but again what we want to remember is that nijutsu is a variation on the specific uh or conventional warrior arts so where archery for the conventional warrior you know these guys were basically the cannoneers before cannons were developed right so there were whole uh sections of an army that had these things, and then they, you know, fired these massive volleys to weed out or to thin out the uh, opposing army, right? 
Well, ninja are like special forces, right? So they're smaller groups or they were alone or whatever. So yeah, it's going to be very, very different. So um, would they have used it to shoot someone? Yeah, sure, of course, right? But, um, again, it's we have to remember that every every tool, every weapon, including our fists, hands, whatever, uh, that the ninja has is a utility tool and has more than one purpose, right? Like your shuto, your knife hand, is also our primary climbing fist because it's stronger, right? Um, so when it comes to, to yumiya, to, to bow and arrows, what you want to look at, um, I think it's in Digital History and Tradition, the first book that Hatsumi since they put out in English. So look in that one, uh, maybe in Essence of Nijutsu, um, can't remember correctly, but I know definitely in Nijutsu uh, History and Tradition, there's a section on Yumiya, and what you're going to see are a whole bunch of different types of arrows. So the arrows, the, the, the bow, because they were shorter range, uh, whatever, you had to be closer, right, that kind of thing. Um, plus you were carrying all this extra stuff that could fall out. Um, something that was just much easier was uh, Fukia, a blowgun, right? It was just easier to carry, all that kind of stuff, right? So why a bow and arrow? Well, um, they had special arrows that uh, were used for distraction, okay? So they would uh, tie, and it would have a blunt end, and they would tie, uh, like, leaves to hmm. the end of it. So when they shot it, it would make this rattling, uh, weird, almost like a rain sound, right, coming through, uh, which just, you know, caused, caused you to perk up. Uh, they were using dogs uh, for the centuries. That, of course, would get the dogs barking, which now creates noise that you can use for cover to move from point A to point B. Uh, they had an arrow that simulated uh, an explosion. Uh, it was actually uh, it was a, it was a, just a shaft that had a, a blunt end on it. But it was a little wide. Think, uh, think like a ten penny nail kind of thing, mm. right? Mm -hmm. And so they would bore out the center of uh, churd rocks or these these smooth stones, right? And so they were bored out so that they could easily slide up and down the shaft of the of the arrow, okay? And mm. uh, one of them may have been attached to the very end, uh, but not necessarily. And then what they would do with this thing, there was at least two of these rocks that were on the shaft, and they would fire it at a hard surface side of a building, another rock or whatever, and when the arrow hit that hard surface, the one rock that, that, that was floating free obviously would head back toward the fletching, right? When the thing mm. came to a sudden stop, that rock would slam into the other one and make mm. this loud crack. Okay? Yeah, like so a again, slide hammer. Like, yeah. Yeah, right. So mm -hmm. it's making this big old distraction noise, right? Um, I'm just trying to think of some of these other ones they had. They had some for signaling. Uh, it would have been used for, just like with uh, Shudikin, they had this little compound that they would make that, uh, once they got gunpowder and all that, right? And they would load that center of a Shudikin uh, with this flammable, you know, this thing that was on fire. It would do the same thing with arrows. Uh, you got to remember that ancient Japan was a land built on wood and paper. So hmm. fire was an ever-present threat, right? So they would use it for starting fires, uh, wreaking havoc, that kind of thing. So... Um, yeah, uh, just but not interestingly enough, like this, uh, and maybe I missed if you said this for something like um, like a stealth 
kill on an enemy because now I've never hunted with a bow. I've only ever shot a bow recreationally, but I'm going to just make a guess here and you can tell me if I'm way off, but uh, I'm guessing you shoot somebody with an arrow. Uh, it's not this immediate, like, they're quietly gone. I'm guessing. Oh, it's they're not screaming. Gone at all. Oh God, somebody shot yeah. me with an arrow. So Absolutely. it would just create havoc, not silence. Yeah. So what you're going to do is sound the signal, you sound the alert, and the entire security force is going to be out looking for you. Yeah, that would that would be dumb. Because again, yeah. the, the ninja's bow and arrow was very very short range, right? Think kids' bow and arrow, as opposed to the typical recurve that an adult might still use, right? Which I actually prefer over a compound bow because I'm not a hunter but mm. um, yeah so even if you get a direct shot you know unless you're hitting that sniper point below the skull and disconnecting the uh, spinal cord I mean that's that's a really good shot with a mm, not super accurate weapon right yeah um, yeah so you're gonna get some sound right same thing with uh, any other kind of assassination method right um, even uh, again, this may make people a little queasy, hopefully not or whatever, uh, but even with cutting of throats, right? So that's why sentry takeout techniques from forever, right, have involved coming up from behind the person, cupping your hand over their mouth and pinching off their nose, right, and then inserting the blade down through the clavicles into the lung that way, not cutting the throat. Because even if you cut the throat, the air escapes from the lungs when the person seizes up, right, mm. because they're startled, right? They're trying to gasp. You're plugging the hole so they can't yell, but they, there's still this back pressure. So you cut the throat, and there's this weird, nasty, gurgling, uh, hissing sound that comes out, okay? Mm. And so, of course, that's not natural, so that raises the alarm, okay? Right. But the ninja's preference was always um, do it silently, and do it in a way that looks like it was either an accident or, you know, you were nowhere near, right? So, um, you know, so things like that, right? Um, you want to set it up so that uh, it doesn't doesn't draw attention, right? Um, because everything goes back to the one adage that Hatsumi Sensei had shared a long time ago. And uh, the statement was, if a ninja has to draw his sword, pick any weapon, right? If a ninja mm. has to defend himself, right, he's already lost because he's lost the power of invisibility. Okay. So we don't want to do anything that causes us to have to fight our way back out. Unless you just know you're going to die while you're in there. But chances are, if you're doing that, you're a distraction so that somebody else can get away. Right. So just very different. Right. Um, I don't know if you looked at the, the, the uh, page, because we're going to do a little lesson here coming up, I think. If we have time for it. Um, I uploaded a, uh, a worksheet. Um, on the main screen that people can follow along with or whatever, they can download that. Uh, but on there, uh, there's a, a button that kind of links to our Ninja Mind program. And the question on it is, can you or do you think, or do you have a Ninja Mind? Or do you have a Ninja's Mind? Right? And we're not just talking about learning a bunch of skills. This is a whole different way of thinking, a whole different way of processing things, a whole different way of living. Um, it's not just, you know, I do what I do, and oh, by the way, I do this martial art too. Right? This begins with the way we perceive the world, the way we perceive what's going on inside of me, right? Shikiwo Shinobu 
one of the three aspects of a ninja, right? Balancing the perspective inwardly and outwardly to make sure that everything matches up, right? And then, that, of course, that leads into how we think, how we speak, how we act, and that's just those three things, right? Thought, word, mm. and deed, our son, mm. Mitsu, is a summarization yeah. of the entire Noble Eightfold Path. Everything on the, on the Eightfold Path can be reduced to thought, word, and deed. Mm. Mikio reduces everything. Okay? Right thought, or right perspective, right view, and right thought belong to mind. Okay? So, thought. Right? Right speech, part of right livelihood, uh, part of, uh, what's the other one? Uh, yeah, part of right livelihood, a uh, little bit of right effort. But those things right there are speech, right? And then everything else, I'm sorry, right concentration and right uh, meditation fall under mind as well. And then everything else, right effort, right livelihood, all that stuff, right, is action. So Mikio summarizes everything, but you have to know the big lesson first. That's why Hatsumi Sensei switched away from using the term Nimpo Taijutsu or Ninjutsu way back in 1998 at Princeton, New Jersey. I was there, right? The reason he steered away from it was because people misunderstood it. People were getting hurt. They were hurting students, whatever, because they didn't understand it. And his, his statement was to understand Ninjutsu and how it's a variation of things, you must understand conventional uh, warrior skills. So – for a while, until people get it, we're going to be doing Budo Taijutsu. He mm. never said, we do Budo Taijutsu, we don't do Ninpo Taijutsu. He said, you must understand this to understand that. Just like if you were doing uh, Mikyo, to, to be, even be able to do Mikyo, you have to do or understand foundational, what we might call primitive or conventional um, Buddhist thought. Uh, and, and Asian philosophy, because Mikyo is a summarization. Every sound, every word, every action, and all that represents an entire teaching, an entire body of knowledge, an entire level of understanding. Hmm. Right? So, anyway, I'm saying right, like, uh, you know, you know, right? You know. Yeah. <laughs> right. right. Anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm laughing. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> so, yeah, so look what I just did. I took David's question and blew it out of proportion and threw a bunch of stuff that people probably don't care about. Um, I'm not talking about the people on the podcast, but people in general, right, they do what they do, and that's why, well, you know, you used to be in sales, right? That's why sales looks like it does because – we're just running into people and then trying to convince them that they need what we have to offer instead mm. of finding out if they're even interested. And if they are, what is it that they like about it? What is it that they don't like about it? And then gauge if this person is even worth going into that the rest of the way with, um, also called a good prospect. And if they're not, say, hey, you like a bowl? <laughs> Let's go bowl. Mm. <laughs> right? So, uh, you know, I'm not, talking, I'm not telling you to write off the relationship. It's just going to be of a different nature, right? It's kind of like asking somebody out, and they say no. You can still be friends. I know a lot of guys can't, but you can still be friends, right? But if you put all your eggs in one basket, and that was all you can do, and if it's not that, then it's nothing at all, then, wow. Yeah. Right? That's, I mean, think about Nijutsu itself. We have all these options, 
and we recognize that the, the end of any given technique or any technique that is failing, that thing that's happening right there in that moment is actually the birth of a different technique. It's actually the process of something else that is actually working. What makes the difference between success and failure is our ability to follow what's really going on or are we married and determined that married to and determined that this technique that we want to do, have to do, and need to do, damn it, I'm, it's going to happen, right? And that's the problem, right? Mm. So do you have a ninja's mind? Mm. How about that for a question? Ponder, 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 ponder. Anyway. Okay, so we did David's question. We did uh, Josh's question. Anybody else? I mean, well, I guess we could open this up. Um, yeah. Or there was something you wanted to cover, uh, but we could always move that to another show. Well, yeah, we touched on it a little bit. Um, you know, we, we talked maybe about talking about Sanmitsu, which you kind of mentioned. You also had mentioned to me, um, you know, about these five realms of the mandala exercise you have and um, how you kind of introduce students to that. Well, it's it's really about depth of experience. I mean, when people look at the mandala, you know, either they want to categorize everything and know what every name is and whatever, like knowing that it's going to make them enlightened. No, it'll fill your head with a bunch of stuff that'll allow you to win, I don't know, Mikio Trivial Pursuit instead of something else, right? But um, it doesn't make it any more real for you, right? So um, what... What I did, and, and we talked about, I, was it last week's show, we talked about uh, the possibility, if people are interested in me doing uh, a program on the 37 fundamentals leading to, leading to enlightenment that the Buddha expounded on when asked, what if people don't want to be a Buddhist, right? But they still want the benefits of this stuff, right? Um, mm. What are the most important lessons? What lessons could we teach them so that they could still benefit, they could still become enlightened, but they don't have to sign up, you know, whatever, right? <laughs> and he expounded on this thing that in, ja in Japanese is called the Sanji Shichinobo, the 37 fundamentals leading to enlightenment. So um, yeah. it's, it's like that where here are these important things. So if we look at the Kongokai mandala, for those of people who, who know what this looks like, it's the mandala with the nine squares, right? And then if you look inside uh, six of those nine squares, uh, the lower six, right, from the midline and then the lower, uh, I guess they'd be rows, right, not columns, so the middle row and the bottom row. They're mirror images of each other, except that what's inside each of those things looks different. Some mm -hmm. look, uh, are in human shape, some are in symbolic shape, whatever, right? And there are entire mandala that I have where everything is replaced with Sanskrit, Sanskrit seat syllables, because mm -hmm. the first lesson is it's breaking your mind from the tendency to think of these these uh, Buddhas or Bodhisattvas or whatever as people or gods out there in the netherworld or whatever. Right. Um, it's, you know, Buddhas are states of mind, enlightened states of mind, and Bodhisattvas are the activities and actions carried out, the results, the karma, whatever, produced by those enlightened states of mind. It's the antithesis to uh, uh, samsara, right? Hmm. Uh, the suffering and the merry-go-round of life, so to speak, right? So this exercise that I have, uh, and that's where that worksheet comes in if anybody wants to print it out 
listen to the recording later and go back through it, um, what I would suggest is that you have uh, five small objects. I suggest coins because they're easy to, to get. They can be the same. They can be different. I don't care. Uh, you need five coins or five marbles or whatever, right? They just need to be able to lay, uh, stay in one place while you're going through the exercise. And then just as a very quick paraphrasing thing, um, we do this with Ninja Mind, some of the other programs um, to help people. It's an exercise where you can gauge where you are and how much of the mandala you're covering. Because the mm. more of those potentials on the mandala you're activating, the more broad-scoped your knowledge and experience is and the more depth you have with your experience of life. Mm. Right? So, um, so you're not just – you're not stuck. Right. So uh, if we start with the lower, the lower, the, what you'll, when you print this thing out, what you'll see is a big circle with uh, basically what looks like a tic-tac-toe grid that's in there and five smaller circles inside that big one. So it mirrors this Kai mandala. I use this, this thing a lot for different exercises. But uh, this is kind of using the godai, the five elements, um, because that's how they show up on there. They're just not empirical like they are in the stupas in Japan, right, or the Tibetan version. So um, the bottom-most circle, you're, it doesn't matter how you're holding it, oriented so that you have a top, a bottom, and a right and a left. So the bottom-most circle um, is the wind realm, but it's the realm of knowledge. So this is the realm of the teacher slash student. Okay? This is the realm of that which can be known and that which is known. Okay? So the question, this is kind of an active meditation exercise. The question is, what do you do on a regular basis to increase your knowledge so that you know more today than you knew yesterday? And it doesn't have to be a lot, but what do you regularly engage in to increase your knowledge? Okay? And, of course, it should be knowledge that is usable, but that's in a different realm. Right? So what do you do to keep learning? Right? Um, it's been determined that most adults don't really learn a whole lot, right? Mm. And they resist anything new. Okay? As ninja, we can't we can't afford that luxury. Okay? Hatsumi Sensei reads a lot. Hatsumi Sensei studies a lot, still today, all the time. And he spends a lot of money on that mm. education. Right? Um I, was in, I, I think I told you this before. I was in Japan one time, uh, that's just a couple of years ago. He was doing some research. He had bought a set of scrolls for this now-defunct uh, lineage, and he was trying to understand their spear fighting. Hmm. And he could only get so much from what he was reading and his research and these scrolls and all that, and he needed to be able to feel the weight of the spears and be able to get a, more of a tactile knowledge, Right. So hmm. he researched and found some antique spearheads that would have been developed around the same time and or came from this school, okay? And he dropped $30,000 on these three or four spearheads so he could have them mounted and he could get direct experience. Hmm. So, wow. And in that, same, in that same class that he was showing off the spearheads, he said, never, ever forget the martial arts training is expensive. Never forget, mm. which is, I don't know, not something that Americans like to hear because <laughs> the Japanese perspective on Americans when it comes to buying things is Americans won't pay full price for anything 
no matter how valuable that thing is. Because hmm. we just, it's coupons and discounts galore. And if you go to Japan, that's the price. Mm-hmm. Okay? So it is what it is, right? But anyway, so what are you doing to increase your own knowledge? That's that realm. Whatever you're doing in your life, that's that realm. And then if you look at the center circle, but go to the left of that, so the leftmost center circle, right, um, that's the earth realm. So that's the realm of the commander. It's the realm of the teacher. It's the realm of the uh, the cause to be served, uh, whatever, right? So in mandala pictures that I've created, over there I've put like a, a picture of uh, Queen Elizabeth. There's some flags from different nations. There's a diamond, whatever, right? This mm. is this is uh, this is the realm of value, right? Um, so the question here is. Uh, now, when, when, I'm sorry, as you're going through this, this exercise, um, you put a coin in each realm that you're actually doing things in or that you recognize that your value or your activity in that realm, okay? So your bodhisattva nature, right? So hmm. if, if you can't find it or you can't recognize it or you're not doing anything, you can't put an object or a coin or whatever in that realm because when you're done with this whole exercise, you will be able to look at that that uh, mandala, that that graphic, and know where you need to spend more time, effort, money, energy, whatever, right? Hmm. So uh, you know, otherwise you got holes in the fence, so to speak, right? So anyway, over on the command side, on the earth side, what that represents is, or the question that's answered there, or that's asked there is, who in your life looks to you as a role model or as their rock or basically who are you valuable to, okay? Who cares if you come home, right? Because the activity that's done from that realm, from that mindset, is the recognition of that duty and responsibility and being that guide, mentor, or role model, okay? Um, the, 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 at the enlightened end of it is, what do you symbolize in other people's lives that make them to want to be like you or be more uh, have more of the same qualities that you embody? We're not creating clones, but what qualities do you epitomize that when people look at you, they go, man, when I'm around him or her, I just feel, what, safe. I feel taken care of. I feel... Um, like I'm around the smartest person in the world, whatever it is, right? Um, and then can you live up to that? Because the reality is that we're all role models all the time. Some people don't want to be role models because there's too much responsibility, but hmm. we're all yeah. role models. The question is, are you a, a, a positive role model or are you a negative role model? And if you know you're a negative role model or, a, you know, you're kind of not the example that you want people to follow, tough. Somebody in your world right now is looking at you and saying or thinking these words. Man, I want to be just like them. That really changes hmm. things. Or it hmm. should, anyway. Yeah. Right? And even if you don't care, it's still going to happen, right? Karma's karma. Okay? Topmost circle 
is the realm of the artist. So this is about expression. Okay, this is about um, this is about kind of the proactive side of the earth realm, right? So how do you express? Here's the question: How do you express the knowledge? How do you use it? How do you apply it? How do you share the knowledge that you have accumulated and are accumulating in the water realm at the bottom? So how do you do that, right? The, the enlightened side of this is being a walking, talking, living example of this art. In Mikyo, this is the Nirmanakaya of the Trikaya, of the three vehicles or the three bodies of, uh, of uh, wisdom. Right, we have the Dharmakaya, that which is is. We have the Sambhogakaya, the body of bliss, which is the activities of whatever that Dharmakaya thing is. Love, whatever. So you have mother's love, granny love, uh, parental love for the children, child's love for their parents, whatever. That's all different. They're all they all look different, right? So mm-hmm. um, what is it that you're expressing, okay? And how clearly do you do you express that, or is the expression muddled and it causes confusion? Okay, so how do you do that? Are you doing it? Right. Um, you know, for a lot of people in the martial arts, the, in the water realm, they're studying more and more about their art on a regular basis. They haven't hit a certain level of training and decided they're going to stop and only talk about it after that. They haven't hit a certain point of being a black belt, and then they are only going to teach, but they're not going to study anymore, right? They're, they're constantly studying. So they're still a student, right? Mm. You know, we have that Master's Creed in our dojo, right? That simply right. says, the day I cease to be a student is the day I'm no longer fit to be a teacher, right? That's our Master's Creed in our dojo. So um, there's an expression, right? Mm-hmm. So, but in the... Then in the fire realm, this same martial artist may share some skills. They may teach a class at the Y or with a church group. They may actually have a dojo like I do or whatever, but they're teaching. But they haven't picked one or the other. They're, hmm. they're doing it, right? And then the circle to the right is the realm of all-accomplishing action, also known as the realm of sacrifice. So this is where, when I do pictures of the mandala, uh, I'll put – People like firefighters, soldiers, police officers, uh, mothers, whatever, right? I mean, Mother Teresa, that kind of thing, right? She could be on either side, right? That's the really cool thing about enlightenment. So um, so this is the realm of, uh, of self-sacrifice and working for something grander than yourself. So what is it that you do that uh, that puts you on hold and you dedicate time, effort, energy, whatever, to this thing that is more important to you or more important to you than you, okay? So that's why the soldier's there. That's why the firefighter's there. That, these people save lives that they have never met. They don't have any emotional connection to these people outside of a grander sense of doing good and helping, right? So, you know, lots of people go to church. Lots of people do things 
they're part of groups or whatever, but they're not really there to serve, right? This whole samurai word, samurai, one who serves, okay? Um, they don't do that. They go to church because they were taught that they should. They go to church because or out of a fear that if they don't, they're going to they're going to hell. Uh, they go to church so that they can sell more cars because they own a car lot. They go to church because they're going to sell more Mary Kay. They go to church because it's their social group and that's where they make friends. Okay? It's not about this thing bigger than themselves. It's a more of a self-serving thing. And I'm not knocking it. Church is great, right? It's but I'm just saying that there's lots of people that go for all the wrong reasons. They walk the talk and they, you know, they put on a good show while they're there, but you can see it, right? A business card comes over, you know, hey, thinking about buying a car, give me a call, you know, whatever, right? Or, hey, we should get together sometime and uh, talk about, um, you know, having a Mary Kay party at your house or whatever, right? It's just, it's, mm, mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah. So there's a self-sacrifice kind of thing, right? Um, one of the things that I do when, uh, I haven't done it in a couple of years, but uh, when the Dalai Lama was in town or in the country, in Canada, right, um, or one of these other Tibetan teachers that get no security from our State Department because we're schmoozing with China, right? Yeah. So these people have no protection, right? So I would, out of my own pocket, drive wherever I need to go to meet up with the other detail of people who were willing to put our bodies between a bullet and this person to keep them in the world because I think that they're doing more good in the world than I am. And again, this is from my personal perspective, but I, I covered my own hotel, I covered my own transportation, didn't get paid for the service or anything like that because of how deeply I feel about that thing that's bigger than me. Right? So, um, so that's that, right? Well, what about the center circle? The center circle you're actually working on as you work on each of the other uh, realms. You don't have a center circle if you haven't if you're if all the other realms, if all the other circles around that center one aren't active and hmm. equally active at the same time. So you got to be able to so, put a coin in the other other four before the center, right? That's right. This coin exercise. Okay. Yeah. So if you put a coin. I guess you could you could cut one coin into into four pie pieces. So if you put mm-hmm. a coin in one uh, in one realm, then you could put the equal pie piece into that other one. So mm-hmm. it's more visual, but it's just um, you're working on the set. You don't work on enlightenment. You work on the faculties and activities and mindsets of enlightenment. And enlightenment happens by default, just like being successful in anything. You have to. Think the right thoughts about that thing. Develop the right kind of plan and speak and communicate and network with other people who can help you accomplish that plan, and you have to work the plan. Hmm. You're missing any part, and you still accomplish what it was you set out to do. It was either because of luck or, well, I was going to say, or something else, but there was still luck. Uh, You know, you set out to get a million dollars, and, well, Aunt Minnie died and willed you a million dollars, but you didn't create a million dollars on your own. Yeah. Right? That was fortuitous, great, but it wasn't a reflection of personal power. It wasn't a reflection of these ninja teachings 
which are also reflected back and forth uh, with the Mikio teachings and all that stuff. So, uh, again, it is what it is, right? So, anyway, we wanted to, we wanted to cover that. So, uh, if you want a cheat sheet, there's a worksheet that um, if you look uh, somewhere, I think it's above the button that's, that um, is for the, um, the Ninja Mind program. Uh, do you think, like, do you have a Ninja's Mind? Above that button or below that button, depending on how your device is laid out, you'll see some text, right? Um, and it's just the way the system is set up. They kind of run around, right? But um, there's actually three links there. Uh, the top one and the bottom one, I think, go to two, two separate programs, should you be interested. The middle one uh, says uh, download your worksheet or something like that, right? If you click on that, um, the, the, it'll open as a PDF on your system. Either print it out or save it to your system, and that way you can use it whenever we do a lesson that borrows this this uh, outline or this layout from the mandala. Right. Uh, so anyway, there's that. Very cool. Is that okay? Um, yeah, and we're just kind of here at the end of the show, so I guess we'll give one last second to see if there's any other questions. I will put it back in interactive mode so that anyone who is on the phone can speak up and. Uh, check over here on the webcast side to see if Josh or anything else. Uh, okay, I think the other comment that was on there was from David, so uh, no worries. Okay, so Jay. last chance, guys. Anybody with any questions or comments before we wrap this up? Uh, now's <clears throat> the time to ask. I was a little bit confused about the, the different levels. Um, before you teach them this, you teach them Budo. Is Budo the simple? Simpler? Nothing is simple, man. <laughs> okay. Who is it? David. Hello, David. I'm sorry, I didn't hear your voice because I got in late. It's uh, cool. So, I, I asked the uh, question with the, the right. Go, you got it. See, see, here's the trick with the Bujinkan, right? And here's the trick with Ninjutsu. We're always learning both at the same time, but the trick with Ninjutsu is nothing is Ninjutsu if your opponent can see it. So you have to learn the base skill, whether it's sword or how to punch or whatever, right? Um, you have to be able to learn that. So that's the Budo side of things. But when you have developed that to the point where he can't see it, he can't see it happening. Okay? So he can't defend against it, that kind of thing. Oh, then and then that's ninjutsu. Sorry. Then it's ninjutsu. Okay, okay, I got you. So I think a good, like, like example – um, I was going to say, I think a good example of that, uh, if I could kind of pull one out, I'd say would be like the Ninjato idea of, you know, again, they, they, they had this conventional training of looking, knowing, uh, uh, of being this samurai, which was, of course, the warrior of the day. But the ninja part, that shorter draw on the Ninjato, just got it out faster. So they knew the conventional art of the day knew that conventional wisdom and then could tweak it uh, to be able to enact something outside of the conventional. You can't have a shorter sword. Wait a minute. That doesn't compute. Uh, right. Right. You know, and then people, but, but, but people can, people could look at that and still do samurai kind of things with the faster. But once we understand that ninja sword technique is based on spear work and not on mm. sword, then everything changes. Because um, you're, the way you draw and the way you flip the blade around to get the boshi to stab him with the first movement, okay, um, is, is just very different. 
right? To a ninja, it doesn't matter what the grip is like. What matters is you get it out and you get that first stab or poke to happen that stalls him, and then you follow up appropriately after that. Mm. But, see, huh. missing that little piece that ninja sword work is based on spear, not on sword. Of course, you still have to know sword, right? But it's it's not – here's the thing with ninja too. Nothing in Ninja 2 is what it looks like. We could say that everything in Budo is what it looks like. Okay? So, and if we look at the two base words, Budo means warrior ways. So everything that we do is all about warriorship, and it's really all about martial, because the, the kanji for Bu is the kanji for martial or warfare. So everything in Budo is wrapped around fighting and warfare whether it's protection, self-defense, whatever, okay? But ninpo, the po is actually the kanji for whole or uh, way or truth. Din is endurance, survival, uh, you know, perseverance, that kind of thing, right? So everything in ninpo is about being around longer. So Survival of the truth. Yeah, but it's also about your health. It's about the way you breathe. It's about your relationships. It's about the way your, uh, you know, your financial well-being is handled. It's, it's all these things that have to do with survival, but survival is based on the context. What are we surviving? What's the threat? Okay? Is the threat my own piss-poor dietary uh, things, or is it, you know, um, so do they, crawl, do they bleed into each other? Of course. Of course. But Nidatsu involves way more. Remember, there's three levels of the, uh, you could break the Kuji, the nine levels of power development, right? Um, they're actually borrowed from Nikyo, but they're specifically four warriors. These nine are divided into three sets of three. Only the base three have anything to do with physicalness. The next set has to do with um uh, knowledge and awareness and perspective and the top three that's just that's just weird stuff well I say weird stuff because it's soften it for everybody but it's really the realm of the spirit so um, stuff that freaks people out it involves ESP and all kinds of weird stuff right mm. so um, that's yeah. the good stuff but, um, not weird for a ninja right <laughs> what's that not weird, not weird for a strong ninja right yeah, and, you know, there were just so many names for a ninja. I mean, one name for ninja was uh, Kage, which is why my email address, one of my email addresses, uh, are, are names that I use is Kage36. Kage means ghost or shadow, right? So uh, it was one of the names applied to the ninja because they were they worked invisibly, right? So if something happened or something was changed and you knew somebody was there but they're not and you know, it's the ghost, it's the spirits or whatever, right? And the mm -hmm. number 36 that comes after it is the two realms of the 18 skill levels of the ninja from Togakure School and the 13 con or the 18 conventional Budo skills that all ninja had to know. It's 36, not 18. Okay? So we had to know twice as much as our samurai counterparts. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah, so, and then if you look at 36, um, it's just, a, it's one of those power numbers that uh, is divisible by nine and does all kinds of weird things. And so, 
yeah, so I chose this. I, I used Kudu 36. Kudu is my martial name, one of them, anyway. And then I use Kage 36 um, because it, you know, these things, they're hidden. They're out there in the world, and I share them. I give these, mm. these email addresses to people, and I give these, these usernames and things like that. And people go, oh, that's kind of weird. You know, um, why this? Well, I just, I don't know. I'm a Japanese geek, you know, whatever, right? <laughs> but here it is. It's available in the world, but there's so much more behind it than mm. what it looks like. That's ninjutsu. I'm cool. long-winded, aren't I? I apologize. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, we're way over on time. I don't know. I don't know if it's going to cut us off or what. What will happen if we go too far off? Yeah, on, in the next the couple of minutes, side. it's going to cut us off. Yeah. It, it certainly is. So, last call, guys. Any other questions or comments? Mm. Was this beneficial? Was this helpful to anybody? David, I apologize for trampling all over your questions. Um, <laughs> but was that my answer at least in part beneficial? Yeah, um, there's one more question. The shinobi, um, to be called a shinobi, a true shinobi, does that mean you have to be outside of Japan? No, there's nothing. There's no such, such thing as that. Shinobi is shinobi with a minor uh, kana added to the end or after the kanji, right? It's the same kanji um, for nin, right? All all kanji in Japan, the, the kanji were borrowed from the Chinese. So in China, there's only one way to pronounce a kanji or to, to say that, the word associated with that thing. In Japan, there's two. Okay? There's a Japanese pronunciation of the Chinese, and there's a word the Japanese have, and they just happen to use that kanji. So the Japanese pronunciation of the Chinese for the symbol we use for nin, for the ninja, right, is nin. Okay? It's, yeah. it's almost identical. Okay? But that same kanji from the Japanese pronunciation is shinobu, okay? So if we say nin, we're, we're talking about the same kanji. If we say nin, we're talking about the original translation from China, to persevere, to endure, to survive, to overcome us. If we say shinobu, that's the Japanese word for uh, entering in, using stealth to enter in. Okay? to break in, to enter in, whatever. So one point to the ninja's overt or external conventional viewpoint as this spy or information gatherer or whatever. Actually, it points to the genin, the low-level ninja, the ones that we always ooh and ah over in the movies, right? The guy with all the cool tricks and can run up walls and all that, okay? When we say ninja, we're now talking about the word nin means to persevere and to endure. The word ja means person. So ninja means an enduring person. <clears throat> Shinobi no mono was the family of these people that were engaged in certain types of activities, uh, and they sold their services to samurai families who couldn't, by their own sacred sworn duty, do some of these things. So the, a lot of these answers and a lot of this stuff is just an understanding of the terminology. But, no, the, the words are the words. You live up to the things, you develop certain characteristics, and it doesn't matter if you use an English word or you use a Japanese word, you are that thing. People get caught up in the words. It's not in the words. It's in the activities. It's in the characteristics. It's in the traits. 
Well, my, uh, my, my screen just did a refresh, so it looks like we're still rolling oh. here, but I don't know if that's cut the yeah, recording we're gonna get this here. or not. But, okay, uh, guys, sorry we need to wrap this up. So if you have any other questions, okay. go on the Food End podcast. Eric was going to say this. Go on the Food End podcast page. You can post it that way. Uh, if you're, a, if you're uh, subscribed to the Food End uh, email list, you can send it that way. Uh, when we post the weekly thing, I was late this time. When we post the weekly event, you can go on that event page and post the questions or comments, or just send us an email, and Eric will cover that in just a minute. So uh, that's all I have for this week. So, Eric, back to you. All right. Well, great. Yeah, and thanks. Hey, we're going to be back at it again next Friday, so uh, you won't have to wait long for uh, more more answers and questions to be had. So thanks again, everybody, for joining us, and uh, we'll see you next week on Kudan. Thank you for listening to Kuden, the podcast for self-defense and martial arts news, interviews, techniques, and history. For more information on upcoming martial arts seminars, camps, and classes with Sheehan Miller, or to submit a question or discussion topic to the show, call 570-884-1118 or visit warrior-concepts-online.com.